The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Episode 138 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you by our friends at FreshBooks, offering a month of unrestricted use to you right now, absolutely free, and you don't even need your credit card. To claim your free month, go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. I think that when you step to the front of the room, you have to invite the people to listen. Just because they're sitting in that room doesn't mean they came to hear you speak. There's a lot of reasons why they showed up in that seat. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi, and welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. The topic of leadership, of course, central to our discussion. Everything centers around that, but we also dig into personal development, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship. Today, we're dealing directly with the craft of public speaking. In just a few minutes, you and I are going to be joined by Dr. Michael Hudson. He's the author of Public Speaker Secrets, 52 Ways to Increase Your Impact Every Time You Speak. I'm going to ask Michael about what it means to own the room and how to actually pull that off, his tips on dealing with nerves before and during your talk, the method he created to help you better connect with your audience, and much, much more. And be sure and stick around until the end where I'll have more information on how you can pick up a free copy of Michael's 3D Presentation Framework PDF. Today's episode is made possible by our friends at FreshBooks. If you're a lawyer, say, or head up a marketing agency, maybe you're a plumber, an interior decorator, an IT professional, a therapist, architect, web professional. If you create value for your customers by applying your time and expertise to other people's problems, FreshBooks is built specifically for you. And I love that they uphold a long-standing tradition of providing extraordinary customer service and building a product that saves you time because they understand that you went into business to pursue your passion and serve your customers, not to learn accounting. That's one of the best parts about FreshBooks Cloud Accounting Software. It's so easy to use. But don't take my word for it. Take advantage of their free month-long unrestricted trial that they're offering to you right now as a listener to read to lead. It's completely free, and you don't need a credit card to sign up either. Just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the How Did You Hear About Us section. One more time, just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Michael is a teacher, speaker, writer, facilitator, coach, and ideapreneur. I love that word. Who can help you get your message heard. Michael works with speakers, coaches, and consultants, entrepreneurs, and small business owners, and leaders of cause-focused organizations seeking to get clear on their message and to communicate it to create their impact in the world. Michael's got a brand new book, and it's called Public Speaker Secrets, 
52 Proven Ways to Increase Your Impact Every Time You Speak. Michael, it's a pleasure to have you. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you very much, Jeff. It is a delight to be here, and I am very honored by the opportunity. I appreciate it. Well, I'm enjoying the book. I just just finished it last night, uh, and so I know all of the secrets. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) And we're done. And we're done. Thank you. It was nice having you. Uh, I wanted to start out because one of the things that that Michael touches on early in the book is the importance of of simplicity. And I want to ask you, what has your own career taught you about simplicity, particularly in the area of, of public speaking and why it's so important? I think a lot of us, when we get an opportunity to get in front of the room, However, we got there, whether we worked through a lot of fear of doing it and then finally got to that opportunity or whether we're very comfortable, we just do it. It's very easy for us to fall into the complexity trap and we don't realize it's the complexity trap. Mm. We fall into it because we love ideas. (laughs) We love to think. Most people don't. (laughs) And when we forget that, right? Mm. And we get in front of the room and, you know, we become the person that we think we have to throw everything out because we're looking at the audience and saying, you know what? There's somebody out here who needs each one of these things and I got to share it all with them. That's the way I have the most impact. Mm. Well, that creates a complexity that makes people walk away going, and what did that speaker want me to do? (laughs) So, you know, I learned that lesson because I was that guy, you know, for the first, first 10 years or so of speaking that I was that guy. And, you know, uh, what happens when you do that, Jeff, is you get applause, uh, you get people to talk to you after the event, but you don't get hired back. Mm. And when you read evaluations, you hear things about people being confused. When you see people later, they go, you know, I remember hearing you speaking. It was great, but I don't know what there was there, what I did with it. It's like, (laughs) well, that's because I didn't make it easy for you. Mm. So a lot of my drive for simplicity and my encouragement of people to make it simple is to focus it. You know what? I mean, I think, you know, when you walk into the room, you should know what the most wanted result is of your being there. What do you want those people to do because they heard you? I had Ken Davis on the show early in, in, in the read to lead history. Mm-hmm. And uh, you may be familiar with his, his book, Dynamic Communication, I think is the, is the name of the book. Yeah. Secrets of Dynamic Communication. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And he talks about a survey in that book. I can't remember what the percentage was, but how the majority of people who leave presentations when asked have no idea what the presentation was about. Yeah. And, and I think, Jeff, it's too easy for us, right? When we get, we now are in our comfort zone. We're where we want to be. Mm. So we're enjoying the fact that we're delivering. We're using our voice. We're using our emotions, all that stuff. And we're having a great time. And maybe they're having a great time with us. But if they walk out and don't know what you said, <laughs> and they don't know how it applies to them, unless you were just hired to entertain you failed. Right, right. Well, I know that early in my radio career, I had a consultant or a talent coach. We called this particular gentleman. Us radio people love to be called the talent. <laughs> and he was, he was one of my talent coaches over the years. And one of the things he taught me in regard to addressing topics on the radio was tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them, and then tell them that you told them. And, and this is something that comes up in, in Michael's book as well. And, and I've heard some of the same suggestions, Michael, that, that you've heard, that that principle doesn't work any longer or isn't as effective. So why do you feel it's still as effective today as it ever was? Because, Jeff, I think we live it everywhere every day. Hmm. Um, you know, we're constantly being told what's coming. I mean, the weatherman tells you the weather forecast and in the middle says, and we're going to talk more about that in 20 minutes. Because we're, we're so conditioned. Plus, there, there's the open loop thing, right? Mm. You're creating an open loop that makes them have to know the answer because they have to close the loop. Right. I think that when you step to the front of the room, you have to invite the people to listen. 
Just because they're sitting in that room doesn't mean they came to hear you speak. There's a lot of reasons why they showed up in that seat. Mm. And you have to, to me, invite them to listen to you. Part of what the tell, tell, tell concept does, and you don't use the word tell, obviously, right? <laughs> right, right. You don't say, okay, I'm going to tell you this, and now I'm telling you this. But <laughs> you know, when, you, when you don't use it, people don't know where you're headed. And so you're basically inviting me on a journey, and I don't know where we're going or why I should come along. Mm. So to me, it's a matter of looking at the tell, tell, tell as a guiding concept saying, okay, in my opening, I have to let them know something about where we're going that makes them want to listen. In my presentation, I have to deliver something that fulfills on that tease that I gave over here, but that also lets them know what I want them to do when they leave. And in your close, you want to come back to that and sort of, you know, bookend it, wrap it all together and issue that call to action so they know what you actually did want them to do. You know, and anybody who thinks this doesn't work, tune on your t- turn on your TV any night after the evening news and watch one of those shows like what Entertainment Tonight or whatever those other shows are like that are called that. That's what they do all the time, right? Mm-hmm. This is coming. Here it is. Oh, we didn't tell you all of it. Here's the rest. It must be working because <laughs> they're doing it. Yeah, yeah, they're doing pretty well and been around for a long time, right? So right. <laughs> I, think, I think if we model something that works that well, we're probably going to have a good impact. Well, talk about what it means to, in your words, Michael, own the room. Uh, how do we accomplish that? And share why you feel it's so important. Well, it's interesting, you know, Jeff, there are people who disagree with this 100%. You know, they say that what you want to do is you want to create a separation between you and your audience. You want to be the, you know, you're the guru, you're the specialist, you're the expert. (laughs) Um, That's not my style, (laughs) first of all. But I think when you own the room, it, it creates context, it shows that you care, and it increases your confidence. Because what you're doing when you own the room is you're saying, I'm responsible to these people in the room. Note the word there, responsible to, not for. But it, it also erases that inherent discomfort, right, that people have. They're in a new place. They've never met you before. Mm. They may be at a conference they've never been to before, and maybe they don't have any friends with them. Well, you know, when you own the room, part of what owning the room to me means is you walk over and you say, hi, welcome. Thanks for coming. And, you know, sometimes I'll do that. And I'll introduce myself. And sometimes I won't. Because it's always fun to walk up to the front of the room after you've been introduced as a speaker, after you've said hello to all these mm. various people. And they go, oh, that was the speaker? But, but I also use it, Jeff, as a time to you know, add a little local color to the presentation, a little bit of local color and flavor, if mm. you will. You know, if I have a two-minute conversation with you, I welcome you, I thank you for coming, and I say, so what brought you in today? Or you know, what, what made you pick this session? You know, or tell me about where you're from. You know, I've now got a piece of information. I've now got a connection with you. I now have a friendly face in the room I can look to mm. because we have a brief, albeit brief, we have a relationship. That's a lot of it. You're, you're kind of acting like you're the host and you care about the people and you want it to be a good event for them. I've tried to do that more and more. I spoke at, at Podcast Movement last month and as people began to uh, come into the room, uh, I think I, I kept up with maybe the first 10 or 12 people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and introduced, <laughs> yeah, introduced myself and said hello and, and asked similar questions. And then as I was uh, talking, and this was actually a Q&A, so I wasn't delivering a formal presentation, but, but as I answered questions, I keyed in on many of those uh, people uh, and it and it put me at ease and, and gave me some comfort and calmed the nerves a little bit too. Well, and, and it creates a level of, of shared ownership of the outcome, right? Because yeah. now we're together in this. Right. And even if you do nothing more than stand at the door and pretend you're part of the convention staff mm. and you say, hi, welcome. Thanks for coming today. And if they got their hands full, don't try to shake their hand. Don't have that <laughs> awkward moment. Right. You know, and, 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 you know, or I'll walk around, I'll walk between the rows. Hey, thanks for coming today. Glad you're here. 
I mean, it just, it changes the tone. First of all, most speakers don't do it, so it makes you stand out, but it changes their desire. I mean, you know, let's face it. The audience always wants you to succeed because they don't want to waste their time. But now you've made them want you to succeed at a different level because you've done something no one else has done. You've acknowledged the fact they're there and you've given them your appreciation for them showing up. I've attended presentations where I was one of the first people in the room and I saw, I knew who the speaker was, and I saw them on stage just standing there, you know, doing nothing, but mm-hmm. looking around and I just took it upon myself to go up and introduce myself and say hello. And in, in the particular situation I'm thinking about, I remember getting the vibe from the person that the last thing they wanted to do was speak to me or have somebody <laughs> walk up to them. And maybe he was getting himself mentally prepared. And so I kind of, sure. you know, took that with a grain of salt. But uh, I know if I'm in that situation, I try to be very welcoming and, and, not standoffish, uh, especially yeah. if it's somebody who's there early and excited to hear me talk. Well, that's the thing. You know, that first person that comes in the room by themselves, or maybe it's a couple people, right? And they're 10 minutes early for the session and nobody else is in the room. Well, why not talk to them? You're going to learn a lot. Uh-huh. And if you come back and say, well, you know, as I was talking with Mary about earlier, all of a sudden they go, whoa, how's this guy even know Mary? You know, and it just changes the vibe. Right. And, and I found that vibe works very well. Now, I, I realize, you know, I think every situation you're in doesn't allow you the opportunity to do this. Mm. But in the cases where you can, I just think you should. You know, I had somebody in my audience recently who got to the room as the, as the event was starting. And so I did not get a chance to do what you just described, but I recognized them from their profile on Facebook and we're connected on Facebook, though we've never had a conversation or never met in person. Right. And in the middle of, of the presentation, I mentioned her by name and used her as an example. Her eyes just lit up. Oh yeah. When I said her name and she just, you know, sat a little straighter in her chair and it was just it was interesting and fascinating all at the same time. Which also, Jeff, ups the level of attention the rest of the people in the room are paying, right? Because they don't know which ones of them you might know. <laughs> right, right. And and you know, I, I want us to make sure this comes across right, right? I'm not suggesting you're being manipulative. Right. If it's awkward for you and you're uncomfortable doing this, don't try it. But if you're comfortable and you can make them more comfortable by owning the room, mm. saying, I'm the host, I'm here for you, because that's why you are there. Yeah. You're going to have a much better connection and create a much better result. And you have a much better chance that they'll actually take action on what you're asking them to do. Well, sometimes a speaking engagement can involve joining the audience for a meal before you get up to speak. Yes. What are some things, Michael, that we should remember to keep in mind in, in that situation? Uh, you know, I'm going to say two quick things on that, Jeff. One is... Avoid anything that's a cream-based sauce, (laughs) because I'm sure you've had that experience. That will tighten those vocal cords, and they'll just make things awkward the whole time. Um, I also, I'm a big fan, you know, a heavy meal is not going to work. You know, Mm -hmm. eat the salad, maybe nibble at the meal. But And even if you're in a place, and, and, and Jeff, I have a part of my past where I worked with people in the livestock industry. This is not judgmental when I say this, but the meals tended to be large and plentiful. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can't let yourself fall into that trap of feeling like you're going to offend them if you only eat three or four bites. Because the last thing you need in front of a room is to have too much food in your stomach and, you know, burps and all that kind of stuff that can happen are just not pretty. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this kind of ties to the hydration issue, right? Mm. You want to be drinking water so that you're getting yourself hydrated before you get in the front of the room. And right. so the food is getting down and out of your gullet. <laughs> and you're because, you know, depending on how long you're going to speak, that can be a real problem. Mm. Well, I know I've got a speaking gig coming up where I'm going to be surrounded by people I consider to be professional in the area of public speaking. Right. And I see a lot of these pros get up and deliver a talk, 
and never, ever need a sip of water. Uh, it's something that when I give a talk, my nerves come through in the form of dry mouth. Yes. And I've, if I'm going to be successful in delivering my talk, I need a sip of water about every five minutes. But I'm concerned about being the only guy, the only speaker <laughs> all weekend long who is doing that. So do I need to be concerned that's going to reflect poorly on me or just not worry about it? Well, first, I don't think you need to worry about it. If you need it, you need it. I think there is one question to ask and to consider, which is, have you hydrated yourself adequately before you went up there? Mm. Because our dry mouth, is a, it's a symptom of nervousness. But if we're fully hydrated, that's not a big problem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fi- every five minutes kind of thing won't really happen. So, and then, you know, there's some training involved here, Jeff. <laughs> you know, one can't decide, okay, tomorrow I'm going to drink three bottles of water for the first time before I walk up there. You, you need to train the body. You're not going to be taking a sip every five minutes. You're going to be calling a break every five minutes. <laughs> um, but when you learn to keep yourself hydrated appropriately, those things don't happen. The other thing is you find other tricks, right? One of my little tricks for the occasional dry mouth, because I, maybe I'll realize, oh, I haven't had enough to drink this morning, mm. is I'll just pop a little Tic Tac in my mouth. Nobody can see it, but it kind of, it, it gets the salivary glands working and it overcomes that, that dry mouth if it mm. happens. You know, I, but, but I think the key message here and the lesson, you know, to share with your audience is, you know, you need to hydrate before you speak. Right. And even then, always have a drink at the ready. Because most of us, when we're speaking, we're traveling, we're in conference rooms, we're in airplanes where the air is not the air we breathe normally. Mm-hmm. And it changes the amount of fluid we want. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to be in Jackson Hole later this week. Now, Jackson Hole, I've got a higher elevation. You know, I've got less humidity than I'm used to. Mm-hmm. I have to overhydrate to what I normally do. Mm-hmm. So there's another lesson in that, right, Jeff, which is make sure you arrive early enough for your body to adapt to the place where you are. Oh, yeah. I used to complain about being like the last speaker in a three-day weekend lineup, but not anymore. <laughs> yeah, 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 because that time to acclimate matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I've learned my lesson there. Uh, well, I want to believe that even the most experienced speakers uh, get nervous, uh, even though they do a good job of hiding it. And I've, I've been told I do a good job of coming across really confident, even if I may uh, not feel 100% confident. Right. Uh, what are your tips for, for dealing with nerves? Uh, obviously, staying hydrated can help with the dry mouth if your nerves are uh, manifesting themselves in that way. But any, anything else? Well, there's, there's a few things, Jeff. You know, one is, you know, if you take your hands and you interlace your fingers and you take the thumb of your right hand and you press against the palm of your left hand, there's a point in the palm of your left hand called the ulnar point. Mm. Now, you know, we wear our wedding rings on the left hand because that's the closest direct path to the heart. Right. Well, the ulnar point is symbolic of that message, basically. If you take your thumb and you rub it in that center of your palm of your left hand with your hands just, you know, lightly laced together, it will calm you down and relax you. And, you know, if you want to make it even better, you know, do a little make sure you're breathing through your nose and releasing through your mouth as you would when you meditate. But you can do that and nobody knows you're doing it. Right. You know, you can do that with your hands under the table if you're sitting there and you just finished lunch and you're getting ready to be called up to speak and just make yourself nice and calm and relaxed. Now, if you're in that sitting position, you also have another option that works really well. Put your feet flat on the floor and then roll up on the balls of your feet and bring your heels off the floor and stretch a little bit. Then take your heels back down to the floor and then lift the balls of your feet off the floor. That motion will dissipate some of that nervous energy that's in your body. And so if you do those two things when you're seated before you walk up, that will work fantastic. Now, the ulnar point also works if you're standing. And if you say, well, they've given me a microphone I got to hold, stick the microphone under your arm and <laughs> rub the ulnar point. <laughs> it's worth it. Right. Now, a couple other things that can work is if you're off stage, you know, sometimes we're in a situation where the audience can't see us. 
Now, that's a great time to get the nervousness out of your body, just doing some simple jumping up and down. Mm. You, you kind of build the excitement, you move the body around a little bit, and it just kind of changes. It's odd, but there's a transformation there that works. And it gives you more energy where you want the energy as opposed to that nervous energy that leads people to pace about and look you know, uncertain when they're there. And the other thing I would recommend for some is affirmations. You know, I think of three primary things. Number one, I'm good at this and that's why I'm here. Number two, I'm here for them and it's not about me. I've brought them something they need. And, and number three, you know, this is going to be a fantastic day and I'm going to connect with this audience and change some lives. Now, those happen to be three that I use. And, you know, I read them and say them aloud before I go on stage whenever I can because it just changes the way I think about it. But that bottom line comes down to this. It's never about you. It's always about them. Our nerves come from our worrying about how they're going to perceive us. They're going to perceive us fantastic no matter what we do if we deliver them a message that they can use and if we tell them what actions they can take. So if you make it focused about them, it takes a lot of the nervousness out. Uh, Well, share a little bit, if you would, about what I think is a very easy to remember method uh, you call the diamond method and and how you use it to to better connect with your audience. Well, you know, this is one of those things, Jeff, I stumbled on. I'd been doing this for a long time. I don't know where I ever learned it, whether somebody taught it to me. I have no recollection. And someone asked me one day about how come it seemed like I didn't lose my place the way a lot of people did (laughs) in speaking. Hmm. And I said, because I have this little diamond thing that I use. And I started describing it to them. And they said, oh, um, so it's kind of like a baseball diamond. I'm like, hmm, wow, never thought of it that way. That's perfect. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. I'll use that. Um, so if you think about the pitcher's mound as center stage, as home plate being the front of the stage, you know, second base being the back of the stage, first base is stage left and third base is stage right. Hmm. You know, if you start your speech, and by the way, Jeff, it doesn't matter how big this diamond is. You know, if you end up in one of those cramped situations that we always end up in sometime when we're speaking and there's only three feet for you to move in, the diamond can be that small. The the two ways I use it, the first is the memory hook. You know, I I tell this story here, tell the story here, tell the story here. And, you know, I stand up out loud and rehearse that. So I get that sort of connected in the brain. But the other way I use it is if I want to reach out to the audience, I step to the front of the diamond. I leave, leave the pitcher's mound and step to home plate. Now, you don't want home plate to be more than two or three steps away, right? Because you're not talking about taking a walk. <laughs> you're just kind of stepping out, leaning toward them. If I'm telling a sensitive story, I'll leave the pitcher's mound and I'll step to the back. Or if I'm saying, well, let's just step back and take a look at this. There's a lot of power when you physically move and do what you just said. Hmm. Because now you put that thing in your mind. Oh, he's stepping back. I got to think about this seriously. And then the left and the right, you know, first and third base, because I want to connect with all of the room. Occasionally I'll move to left and I'll tell a story. Then I'll move to the right and I'll tell a story. And depending on how much content there is, you know, I'll, I'll run that circuit several times. Hmm. But in most cases, I'm trying to have three main stories I'm sharing with you. You know, and when I issue my call to action, I, what I want you to do, the main conclusion, I step back to the front to get back closer to them. You also can use it to illustrate things to your audience, right? A lot of times when we're speaking, we, we may be talking about polar opposites of a situation or different options, you know, mm-hmm. the, the option A and option B, and sometimes you've got option C. Well, you can use first base, the pitcher's mount, and third base as where you talk about option A, B, and C. So as you go through the entire presentation, when you want to take their mind back to option A, you go back to first base. When you want to take their mind back to option B, you go back to the pitcher's mount. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you use that, that verbal clue helps them track you much more than you realize. Mm. 
Very interesting. Well, there's been a lot written about gestures and what we should be doing with our hands when we're speaking from stage. And I'd love for you to share your approach, Michael, to this aspect of the uh, public speaking process. What do you think? Well, I'm, I'm a big fan, Jeff, of, you know, you've got to be you. And, and, and I think sometimes people get too concerned about gestures and they make themselves more uncomfortable worrying about whether they gestured or not. Mm. Now, I don't want to take away from the other side of this. Okay. I mean, Michael Port would be a fantastic example of this. You know, Michael is masterful about teaching you that your speech is a performance, you know, and you need to be very intentional, you know, more theatrical in the way you do it. And the bigger the room, the more you need to do that. Right. But I would much rather have a speaker be natural and genuine and then learn over time how to do it better than to fall into that trap where they're constantly worrying about where their hands are so much so it takes away from their message or where they get to that frenetic movement, right? Where they're just jumping around because, okay, was I supposed to gesture here? Was I supposed to, you know, what I do there? You know, and I I think there are some gestures that always work. There are times you're going to invite the audience to answer a question and saying, so what do you think? And reaching a hand out towards the audience when you do that is a very intelligent and smart thing to do. Hmm. What you need to do, bringing in the Michael Port side of the story, is you need to reach farther than you think you do. Because you're, you know, just reaching like three inches from your body is not enough. <laughs> you got to really put it out there if you want them to get that message. You know, if, if you want them to raise their hand, you know, say, so what do you think about this? How many of you think this is a good idea? If you just raise your hand, you don't have to say raise your hand. Those who think it's a good idea will raise their hand. Uh, at my uh, recent uh, speaking engagement, I had my wife taking pictures, obviously still shots. Don't do the gesture uh, gestures justice. Easy for me to say. It was comical almost to see <laughs> uh, some, some of my gestures that I didn't even realize <laughs> I was making that uh, have prompted me to, to go back and kind of rethink. <laughs> well, and, 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 you know, Jeff, one of the suggestions in the book is record yourself every time you speak yeah. in, on video because yeah. you will discover those things. I have a good friend who, who is a photographer and I've had him try to shoot me three or four times speaking. And, and the first time he did, he came up to me at, at the break and he said, can I tell you something? I said, yeah, he says, <laughs> you make some of the weirdest faces I've ever seen. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He said, look at these, <laughs> you know, and it's like, where'd that come from? He goes, I, he said, I thought I had you. I thought I finally had you in a great thing. And then you made that face. What is up with that face? <laughs> Obviously it's unconscious, <laughs> but, but we've got to be aware of that. You know, I think people are scared to watch themselves and the faster you get comfortable watching yourself, the faster you're going to get better. That's, mm-hmm. that's my opinion. Well, Michael, what are your thoughts on the use of, of quotes? At what point can we be pretty confident that we've um, gone a little quote crazy, so to speak? Probably sooner than you think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sort of a fan of here and there, but not everywhere. Okay. And, and, you know, a quote needs to be, to me, connected to the message to have value. If you have to explain it, you shouldn't be using it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good rule of thumb. I mean, I really do think that's the first rule of thumb. Now, there are times you want to use a longer one and you want to, you want to tell them why you chose that quote because you want them to think more broadly. You know, I do a lot of strategic planning facilitation. In that case, a lot of times I'll use a longer quote because I want them to think about the bigger various elements that are in it. But I also think there's value here in recognizing what you really should be striving to do is say things that the audience wants to go quote Mm. and think carefully about where are there places in your message where you can put a carefully worded sentence or repeat a carefully worded phrase that becomes repeatable and quotable for your audience, Mm. because that's more powerful than just, okay, here's what this quote is that you've seen a thousand times before. (laughs) Because let's face it, there are a lot of quotes that are just way overused. 
you know, if I see the faster horses quote one more time. <laughs> <laughs> you are the average of the five people you spend yes. the most time. So, you know, I, I think, I think so. So you, and, and Jeff, when you just said that you just triggered the real point, right? The real point is, is this quote original to you and the situation you're tr- trying to create for these people and where you're trying to take them? Mm. Does it have relevance? Is it short enough that they can't misinterpret it? And more important, is there a way you can have your own quote that you use that teaches them what you want them to remember and repeats it enough that they'll take it away and then they'll quote you? You know who's a master at that? And I just had the chance to hear him speak a week ago. And that's Michael Hyatt. Yes. Uh, he had one, maybe two outside quotes. But there were several times throughout the presentation where the slide uh, had the, the Twitter logo, the little bluebird, and mm-hmm. then Michael's words. A very short, powerful statement. And then under that, his Twitter handle and the hashtag for the event. And see, I think people think you're not allowed to do that. That's why you're there. (laughs) If they wanted to hear Abraham Lincoln, they'd have hired an Abraham Lincoln (laughs) impersonator. (laughs) You know, I mean, that that's where you're creating value, right? And in the world we live in today, where you're trying to get your platform across to people, Mm. what better way than leverage the technology by putting your own words there encouraging them to share those words while you're helping them understand why those words matter. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the quotes were begging the way he had designed them and designed the slides. They were just begging to be tweeted and shared. Yeah. I know uh, I often struggle, Michael, with the best way to end, to wrap up. Talk about in, in your mind, what the most effective way of ending your talk is. So that just saying we're done and walking off is not working for you. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Got to catch a plane. No. <laughs> You know, I, I think, Jeff, you, you in that question, you identify what is perhaps the biggest single challenge that even the many of the best do not do well. Mm. I mean, how many times have you been in a room where there's that awkward thing at the end? Is you it- know the speaker's done. <laughs> you know that they were thinking someone would pick up on the fact that they're done mm. and nobody has. So I think step one, you've got to carefully plan it, rehearse it and stick to it. Mm. Don't get there and say, oh, I'm going to try this. Oh, let me, t- let me, <laughs> let me do one more thing. If you in your mind had rehearsed and you said, okay, end by saying, and now you can go get that result. Fight the urge to say more, but control the outcome. Have a, this is going to sound manipulative, but it works. <laughs> Have a plant or two in the audience who know that when you say, and this is how you can get that outcome and you put your hands forward, that they start clapping. Because the problem with ending a speech is the audience never knows when it's done. And you don't want to fall into that trap where you just say, thank you. Because, you know, I heard a long time ago in an essay, one of the, a speaker say one day, you shouldn't be thanking the audience. Their applause is their thanks to you for what you have given them. And it stuck with me. And, you know, I now work to make sure I have, when this slide comes up, I will say this and then please start the applause. Or if I'm supposed to hand the microphone to you, please walk to the front of the room to get the microphone because I'm not going to just stop and say, thank you. Mm. It's not that I won't thank the audience. I'll thank them once the clapping starts, if you will, you know, and we know we're done, but I don't want, because, you know, obviously you've picked this up, Jeff, you know, one of my objectives here is I always want the audience to be moved to action of some sort. Right. I want what I close on to settle in. You know, I want that closing to have some rhythm to it. I want it to build. I want it to be that when I finish, they know I finished. And then I want to not have to say another word that pulls away from that. I want them to have a chance for that to sink into their mind. Mm. 
I like that argument you make for for not saying thank you. I, that's typically what I do as as an obvious way to let them know I'm done. But I like your argument for for handling it differently. Well, and it's not that hard usually to have someone in the audience you can have do that, right? The meeting planner. You know, the other thing that happens is a lot of times we don't know who the microphone's going to when we finish, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. we're in those things where there's a whole bunch of different speakers. You know, and, and who are we turning it over to? Or maybe the person we thought we were turning it over to is not in the room. <laughs> and you don't want to say, uh, now, who do I hand this off to? Because, again, you just undermine your message. If yeah. you came there and you gave your all giving them a message, you want it to close with the power that you intended it to have, not with this awkward moment. So the way you control the awkward moment is you teach someone to help you not let the awkward moment happen. Good advice. Well, before we move on to some questions that aren't directly related to the book, Michael, anything else you want to make sure we know from the book? I'll just, I'll share this, Jeff. You know, the, you know, one of the challenges one has when you write a book like this is you feel like there are people who will disagree. There are people who will say, well, everybody already knows this. Um, (laughs) And there are, there is stuff in the book. There's a lot of people that know it. I can tell you what I've discovered though. There's a lot of people that don't. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm the kid who was scared to speak in public. I mean, I was petrified of speaking in public. It took me a long time to get over that. When I got over it, what I sort of committed myself to was simple and easy. Mm. Keep it focused and simple and easy. You know, so I, see, I wrote the book really as a, a bit of mental stimulation for how you can improve. It's not, here's the Bible, go follow it the way it's written. Mm. It's, Here's something I've learned that works. I've used it with other people I've coached and I believe it'll work for you. So try it and then make it your own. Mm. None of these things that are in the book are, okay, you've got to do this exactly this way. Right. But take the lesson that's there because the lesson is there's a challenge in doing this particular thing. Here's the way I deal with it. Figure out how you're going to leverage that knowledge to do what you do in that area better. I would be curious to know what are a couple of books that you have read, maybe recently, or it could be ones that you, you read long ago that maybe you go back to again and again that have had um, the biggest impact on you and, and your career and, and your personal growth. One of the ones that I carried around with me for years in my briefcase and r- literally read every day is As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. You know, very small, portable book, powerful. Mm. Um Every year I make time to reread the magic of thinking big by David Schwartz. Yeah. I just think it's a book that, and, and, you know, and every year I get something different out of it. Um, I have a little favorite book that you may have seen or may not have. It's called a technique for producing ideas by James Webb young. Mm, No, I don't know that one. You know, I don't, I don't think it's 60 pages long, Oh, but it's this brilliant little thin book. uh, The guys from the advertising world and it's got five or six steps in it. And it's just a fantastic mind generating kind of thing. I love it. Um, my, my favorite right now is what to do when it's your turn. And it's always your turn by Seth Godin. Mm. I right now I'm in, in my, I think fifth or sixth reading where I just read two pages of it a day. And it's amazing how many days what I'm reading is exactly what I need that day. <laughs> I mean, it's a highly recommended book. And you know, any of your listeners who haven't read it, go read, do the work by Stephen Pressfield. That, that is a oh, yeah. book that, you know, if you haven't read it, will will change the way you think about the work you do. Um, and I've got to give you one more, which he, he was your last guest, I think your last podcast, Michael McGay-Stanier. Mm. Um, his Do More Great book, Workbook is a great book. And I don't know if his exercise is in the book or not, I can't recall. But just the exercise I went through with him in a keynote that he gave at a, at a conference I was at, where he uh, had you basically draw a pie chart, how much good work, bad work, and great work are you doing? Mm changed my life. I mean, I literally did. And there's a post on my blog about it because it literally changed the focus of my work. I went home from that event and fired 60% of my clients, completely changed the focus of my, of my entire business. Wow. 
Because when I realized what he teaches in that book about good work, bad work, and great work, I realized I wasn't doing enough great work. So mm. it, that was a, I'm not sure I, it, I may be being unfair giving the book the credit. It may have been listening to him in person, <laughs> but, but it's a great book too. So those, those are the ones I would share, Jeff. And I hope you don't mind my going to six instead of just two or three. Oh, no, no, no. You can, you can reference as many as you want. <laughs> well, as somebody who has uh, successfully worked for yourself for, uh, I guess, over 20 years now, what, what advice might you give for helping others make uh, that transition successfully? Is it something that you planned while you were still working gainfully or did you just up and quit one day and then think to yourself, I'm going to figure this out as I go? I'm going to say a little bit of both. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, Jeff, I had the privilege of being a college professor for 10 years at uh, the University of Illinois and at Cornell and, uh, you know, was tenured at both places and had some wonderful students and did some wonderful work, but I never felt comfortable in the bureaucrat- bureaucratic world. Mm. And I knew one of two things was going to change and I was pretty sure it wasn't going to be the bureaucracy. So, right. <laughs> so I was always kind of mapping how I was going to do this. In fact, I signed my first consulting contract the day I joined the faculty at the University of Illinois. Mm. And, and that was actually 32 years ago. But when I made the decision in 94 to leave that world and, and go on my own full time, um, you know, the, the, the steps that I took were a lot like what I did in the academic world. So I kind of leveraged that and that thinking, which is, you know, you, in the academic world, you've got to, you know, listen to what they want and give them that but you also have a responsibility to deliver what they need. And, you know, that's using your expertise, you know, but if you're not, if you don't cover the want, they're not going to be receptive to the need. Well, what I discovered when I went full time in my own entrepreneurial business, you know, speaking, coaching, consultant is it's the same thing. Hmm. You got to hear what they want. And then you got to use your talent and say, here's what you need. You know, there's a little phrase, right? Sell them what they want, give them what they need. Right. Uh, right. You kind of have to do that. So I, I think it structured my entire business effort on, on how can I do that? You know, and I think the other two things, you know, I would share is, you know, always to prepare judiciously, you know, make the time to talk to people, to learn what they see and how they see the situation. Don't assume that because they're in industry X, they think this way or because it's an association for this particular world, they believe this. You got to talk to the real people to know what's really going on. And when you talk to those people, you now have a chance to find out what stories do you have that you can share with them that will change their perspective. That will give them an opportunity to do something better and create a better result. And then, you know, you, you, you have to do the other thing, no matter what you're doing, follow up fast. It is astounding how many people will say, well, I contacted this person. He hadn't followed up in two weeks. So now I'm calling you mm. or I'll follow up with somebody tomorrow and they'll say, wow, you got back to me really fast. And my, my <laughs> mind goes, and, and who doesn't? Isn't that what you do when a prospective <laughs> client calls you? But a lot of people don't. Wow. You know, so if you're really serious about making that transition, you know, the first thing is, you know, get clear on what you have that's unique and what stories you can use, understand what the audience wants, how you can use what you know to give them what they need and follow up with them promptly so that you get the opportunities that others walk away from and miss. And, and the other thing I will say, Jeff, is, is in any business today, I think speaking and presenting will have a role and an impact. I think you always want to walk off the stage hoping that they're sad to see you go, mm-hmm. not happy to see you leave. <laughs> now, see, there's a quote I would put on a slide. <laughs> yeah. Say, tweet this. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I know the book has just been out for, uh, I guess, a few weeks now, officially. What's, what's next on the horizon? What uh, are you working on now that, that you're excited about? Well, my, my current passion project, Jeff, is, is a thing called the 3D Presentations Framework. And I've tried here to do what I've just said, right? I, I've listened to the audience. I've asked them what the problems are. And what I've discovered is there are two common questions that people ask me all the time. 
One is how do I know what to put in my speech and what to leave out of my speech? Mm. And the other is the question of once I figured that out, is there an easy way for me to create my speech? Can I have a template? Mm. Can you make this easier for me? So I, I developed this 3D presentations framework and the 3D stands for design, develop and deliver. Because what I observe is most people think about speaking only from the delivery standpoint. Yeah. They don't put the time in to design the speech and define the outcome and understand the circumstance to actually assess whether they're the right person to even be there speaking. Mm. They don't develop their speech around their personal stories, their unique insights and the lessons they have to reveal the transformation they've experienced so they can now call the audience to take that. And then they really haven't honed their openings and their closings and that call to action. And then they forget the most important thing. You've got to give the audience a first step that they can take that makes it approachable. So all of that's kind of what I've created in this 3D presentations framework. You know, I've got an online course we created and recently launched, and I'm going to be doing a lot more work in that area because that's where I've seen people struggle. And my goal is to help them succeed. Well, Michael, uh, this was a treat. Again, I enjoyed the book uh, tremendously and learned a lot that I'm going to be applying going forward in my public talks for sure. Thank you very, very much. Uh, well, thank you for, for being here and for taking the time. We appreciate it and hope that you'll, uh, you'll come back again very, very soon. I would love to do that, Jeff. Thank you. I'm honored to have been here and I'm, I really, really appreciate your comments about the book and I'm glad you found value in it. Michael has agreed to offer his 3D presentation framework PDF absolutely free. And you can pick that up right now by going to readtoleadpodcast.com slash 3DP. That's the number three, the letter D, the letter P. readtoleadpodcast.com slash 3DP. For a direct link to that resource, plus all the other resources Michael mentioned, including those six books, you can simply go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash 138 for episode 138. If you appreciate the folks that help make this podcast 100% free, then simply show your love to FreshBooks by signing up for that free month-long trial. No credit card needed to do it. Just visit freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. I want to say a special thanks to Tom and everybody over at Interview Valet who recently left a five-star rating and written review for the read to lead podcast saying it's a must listen before you invest one minute reading. I agree wholeheartedly. Thanks guys. Appreciate that. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the read to lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read to Lead.